0: We hope you enjoy this podcast. This week on PA Books, the author of The Pennsylvania Reserves in the Civil War, Uzel Ent. Uzel Ent, author of the book The Pennsylvania Reserves in the Civil War. How long have you been interested in the Civil War?
1: Well, off and on, for a long time. And of course when I got involved with this book, I got interested in more depth because I needed to, to probably uh write about the reserves. Well why'd you pick
0: why'd you pick the Pennsylvania reserves as a topic? Uh, okay.
1: Well there's a couple of things. First of all, the uh, Pennsylvania Reserves, was, uh, a history of them was written one year after they left, uh, were mustered out of, of the service by a man by the name of Josiah Cipher. I have a copy of the book. It was my great-grandfather's. But I knew that one of my great-great-uncles had been in the, the reserves and had commanded the 6th Pennsylvania Reserves. And as I got digging deeper, I discovered I had another great-great-uncle that was in the the Reserves. He enlisted in 1861 in an artillery battery, which uh, later became Ricketts Battery, and he served with them until they were mustered out in 1865. Now, he was wounded along the way but he stayed with the battery the whole time. So when he was mustered out, they made him a brevet lieutenant. I don't know whether that, that was you know, good for him or not. But So I had two ancestors, and Josiah did a good job, and you could tell that he had kept relationship with the officers of the division all along, because the book came out a year after they came off active duty. But he neglected a few things. One, he did not cover the Cavalry Regiment, which was part of the reserves. And there were two regiments, the third and fourth later in the the war, Were sent to the West, to West Virginia, to a uh, to General Crook, and he he had an expedition going across the mountain and so on. I think what I should do is tell you about how the Pennsylvania Reserves came about. Sure. Well, you know. Lincoln called for 75,000 volunteers for three months while all the young bucks ran down to Washington, D.C. And we didn't know at that time which way Maryland was going to go, so the the people in the border counties got very nervous. So the governor and the legislature got together and they quickly passed an act calling for the formation of the Pennsylvania Reserve Volunteer Corps.
0: Now, how does the reserve differ from the regular army?
1: Well, this was just this was just their title. It had nothing to do with, with the regular army or anything else. There wasn't any reserves in those days, anyway. But that's the name they came up with. And I think originally uh, they had in mind to form an organization for the defense of Pennsylvania. When the outfit was first organized, it numbered just under 16,000 officers and men. It consisted of 13 regiments of infantry, one of cavalry and one of artillery. The infantry regiments in accordance with uh, the tables of organization and so on in the active army there was uh, ten companies each company numbered about 100 men they had a a captain a first lieutenant and a second lieutenant had five sergeants first sergeant second Third, fourth, and fifth, and eight corporals, one through eight, and uh, actually, that organization was pretty much the same in in uh, 1898. And so there was a th- there were uh, like I said a thousand men. It was supposed to be, but they didn't quite make it. Now the cavalry regiment consisted of 12 companies. Now I, that's not a mistake, that's where they went by, companies. And uh, <clears throat> the uh, companies, uh, during the war in uh, 1863, Congress decreed that th- those those cavalry companies would henceforth be troops, but Pennsylvania said, "The heck with it! We're going to stay with company," and they did. And they kept the name of the it was the first volunteer cavalry re- regiment, and they kept that reserves in their title. So I talk about them. During the early part of the book, up until uh, Gettysburg, and then I wrote a chapter strictly about the cavalry.
0: How did you get to be a member of the cavalry, as opposed to the uh, infantry? Well,
1: they 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 initially they wanted people who knew how to ride, and. with this cavalry regiment they they got a, a man who really know knew his stuff that was general or excuse me colonel Baird he he knew horse flesh he knew how to pick good horses and 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 he knew how to drill the men properly which was very good uh, <clears throat> The artillery regiment had eight batteries in it. So, as I said, when they were first organized, they ran just shy of 16,000 men. Well, eventually, these people were mustered into state service first, then later into uh, federal service, except the regiment called the bucktails the 13th the 13th regiment was a rifle regiment and you really had to be a good shot to to belong to it
0: how did they get the reputation for because you always hear the talk about the bucktails what was special about them
1: well the uh, when they were first being organized the their headquarters it was in a building across the street from a, uh, yeah, I can't think of it all, a butcher. And hanging outside of the butcher shop was a deer. And one day, one of the men f- from the regiment cut the tail off of it, stuck it in his hat. and the. The commander of the regiment thought that was a pretty good idea and pretty soon everybody had a, a bucktail. So uh, that's the way they went. So that's, that's how they were organized. Almost all of them I think went to camp at Camp Curtin. Camp Curtin was a major major uh, training camp for the for the north there were people came from Pennsylvania and other states too and uh, they
0: uh, how did they uh, how did they select the officers I mean, when they were putting okay. together a new unit how did they decide who among them were qualified to be officers
1: well, the men, the enlisted men, voted for the officers. Now, those are the company-grade officers. <clears throat> the field-grade officers, the ones on the staff and command of the regiment, they were elected by the off, the, the, the lieutenant's and captains. It was a terrible arrangement, but... That's the way it was.
0: So you didn't have to have any particular qualifications. Uh, just...
1: Well, I think they often, you know, tried to pick somebody that would be good. Now, with the uh, with the bucktails, their original commander was a man by the name of Kane, and the the men. Pretty soon they didn't like him. First of all, he was very careless of their lives. He was a glory hunter. And secondly, he didn't know how to drill the regiment. Now back in those days, drilling the regiment was a very important thing because they achieved fire superiority and so on by the mass firing of, of the regiment and they had to do during a battle they had to go through different uh, revolutions in order to stay where they should be or withdraw, and so on. So you had to know what to do in every situation. Nowadays they have drill, but drill now is for ceremonies and marching and things like that. Has no relationship
0: well, when they when they first got together, were there any people in the, uh, any of those sixteen thousand who had military experience? Oh
1: yeah, oh yeah, yeah there, there were. Now, uh, some of the men uh, belonged to the, the militia because we didn't have a national guard then. But uh, and uh, some of the officers, particularly the the field, the, the majors and so on, they had most of them had some experience. The first commander of the Pennsylvania Reserves was a man by the name of McCall. Now McCall had served in the active army for a total of about 20 years. But he had health problems. But uh, even so, uh, the governor appointed him commander of the, of the reserves so that was the state rank when they were mustered into service he was made a first a brigadier and then a major general
0: so they started out as a state unit and then became part of the regular army
1: well yeah they were see For a number of of years in the beginning of of the Civil War, every man was a volunteer, everyone, officers and enlisted. And later on, when they started the draft, the volunteers were upset about these draftees coming in. So there was a little friction there. (laughs) But they they got over it, but uh, I have at home, I was going to bring it with me, is a board 20 by 30 inches, and it has the pictures of all of the people who served as regimental brigade and division commanders. General Meade, he, he started off as a brigade commander in the reserves. General Reynolds, who uh, got to be a corps commander and was killed at Gettysburg, he also started as a brigadier and then
0: commanded the division. We have a section in the back of the book that has a lot of information on all the officers who were in the the uh, reserves. Where'd you find all this information? Oh, different
1: sources, Uh, obituaries, uh, memoirs, all kinds of things. But I wanted that in there. See, I wanted also to have a uh, roster of all the red, all of the companies and regiments. But the publisher said that would add another 100 pages to <laughs> a book that was already...
0: Well, it's a pretty big book as it is. How long did it take you to write this?
1: Well, I started at the tender age of 70. I'm now 86. The book was finally published in the first days of this year. Uh, My birthday is December 31st, so that was sort of like a Christmas present, birthday present combined for me. Uh, I finished the book in uh, 2010. It was at the publisher's for uh, their editing for two years, and then that was took it up to 2012, 2013 was indexing. I did not want to tackle that, but a friend of mine, Mr. Baker, he uh, he is at the. Uh, U.S. Army Military History Institute, and he's a retired, I think he was a sergeant major in the Air Force. He did a real real neat job. He wouldn't take any money, nothing, nothing. And I know it took an awful lot of work. Mm-hmm. So, oh, and one other thing I wanted to mention, there was a number of chapters that I sent to people who I thought were pretty much experts in that particular area. Uh, there was uh, John Michael Priest, uh, he reviewed my chapter on uh, Antietam and uh, the Battle of South Mountain which preceded that. A fellow named Fons. I may pronounce the name wrong.
0: Oh, Harry Fons. Right. Yeah, he's been on this program.
1: Has he? Mm-hmm. I don't. I can't find his address. But at any rate, he reviewed Gettysburg for me. Uh, John Hennessy was checked out my Bull Run, and uh, Frank O'Reilly. Did the Fredericksburg? I told each of them. I said, I want a, a completely objective, you know, view of the thing. Well, boy, were they ever yeah. objective! <laughs> I'll tell you, if when you write something and somebody f- faults it, you better be ready to take it. And, and they 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 really did help a lot,
0: so you did a lot of rewriting
1: yeah I, I did a lot of taking out <laughs> i i I spent too much time talking about the battle in general, for example and uh and that that was true. Oh, another one was uh, William Williams, who's local here. Mm-hmm. Bill Williams. He reviewed one of my chapters for me, too. Now, their reward in each case was a copy of the book. (laughs) You See, I I wasn't going to say this, but it's true. The books that I write are heavy. So when you get done reading them, you can use them as a doorstop.
0: Well, I want to ask you about something you you mentioned earlier. You said that that they they were considered three-month men when they first signed up? No, no, no.
1: In the beginning, Mm -hmm. Lincoln called for 75,000 men to serve for three months. Now, these people agreed to serve for three years. Mm.
0: What did they expect when they signed up? Why were they signing up? I think most of them.
1: Was, was patriotism. And, you know, they, uh, they wanted to represent their state. And the thing about the Reserves is, and it, you know, it's an all-Pennsylvania out, was an all-Pennsylvania outfit. <clears throat> and they came from all over the state, the most remote areas, down into Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and so on. One group uh, floated down the west branch of the Susquehanna in a raft, and they they showed up you know in all different outfits
0: did they did they keep people from the same towns, the same parts of the state together or did they mix them up
1: well they they kept them pretty much together, for example, the seventh uh, Pennsylvania, a lot of them came. From Mechanicsburg in the area around there, others came from up around uh, Bloomsburg and so on. So they 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 represented a, a small area each each company.
0: Well, you brought along a hat that they uh, that is a replica of the ones they used there. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a very authentic copy. Now this horn there, that was the insignia of the infantry in those days. Now I i decided I would use the, the Pennsylvania Reserve numbers on the hat. So this is the 6th Pennsylvania Reserve. Mm-hmm. On the top here is a division and insignia. It actually represents the third division of the Fifth Corps. See, they had they had each Corps had three divisions. The first one was their insignia was red, the second one white, and the third blue. So by eighteen sixty three that's what they had.
0: You don't mind if I try that Oh, <laughs> go ahead. Did they, can you talk about the the colors, the unit's colors, and, and who designed them and why they were important?
1: Well, <clears throat> uh, each uh, outfit had uh, the national color and they had a state, and then they had colors specifically for their regiment. <clears throat> now, you know, in those days, uh, there was so much noise and so on that oftentimes, particularly a regimental commander, had hard time communicating. <clears throat> so the, the, wherever the colors went, that's where the regiment went. And the colors became, if they got separated and so on, the, the colors showed them where to assemble, and they were, each one was distinctive, and they got all shot to pieces, I mean every one of them, and defending the, the regimental color was, was an honor, and many regiments lost three, four, five, even seven or eight men. It would grab the collar as soon as it fell down and in one instance this uh, this color had been dropped by a number of people, and one man went over to grab it and he said, "Don't pick up the collar, you'll get killed." He picked it up and got killed mm. just like that so
0: how long were these uh, was these volunteers trained before they were sent into battle
1: well these these fellows like i said <clears throat> they went to camp curtin and there they got some training and then they they went to down to the vicinity of washington dc got some more training And while they were there, one of the brigades, it was a brigade commanded by General, Brigadier General O. C. Ord, Fort Ord, California. Oh, he's the
0: guy, Fort Ord is named after?
1: Well, he had had the brigade and he had an artillery battery and a contingent of cavalry and they went to a little town. Called Drainsville in uh, Northern Maryland, and they were there to, to forage and pick up you know, different things, <clears throat> and lo and behold, there were some ca- Confederates there. So they had a little shooting match. The commander, the commander of the Confederates, was the guy who eventually became Stonewall Jackson.
0: He didn't lose many battles.
1: Well, he lost this one. Well, they were outnumbered anyway and outgunned with their artillery and so on. And uh, the reserves, uh, several regiments of the reserves charged into them, including the 6th. And so he had to withdraw. And uh, he did and i i don't know how many how many wagons load of, of stuff that they got there but it was you know it it was uh, foraging for whatever they could get that would help and of course when they came back to the camp they were treated as heroes by the other the other fellows and some people from Pennsylvania came down to pat them on the back, too.
0: Mm -hmm. What was everyday life like for members of the Reserves?
1: Well, their everyday life was pretty much like any other volunteer regiment. They drilled, drilled, drilled. I mean, hours. Hours and hours. There would be breaks, but they drilled hours and hours uh, every day. And, of course, they will their uh, uh, time at uh, being on guard duty and so on. The cavalry was sent out uh, and uh, on the nets they were out several miles k- keeping, uh, trying to mask the infantry back here, and uh, also to uh, make the uh, the enemy know they were around. Now the thing about, it, you know, the people, the soldiers on both sides, they were just common ordinary folks. A lot of them had. No formal education, or very little, and uh, they would, in the in the early days, when they were out, uh, you know, on picket duty, they used to shoot at one another, and finally, in almost every case, where they were there for a while, they decided not to do that anymore. And uh, they would trade, the Confederates would trade tobacco for coffee, because there wasn't any coffee in the South. <clears throat> and they'd, they'd make little floats, float the stuff across the river, creek or whatever.
0: <clears throat> what did the officers do about that?
1: They didn't like it most of the time, because it, it really underlined or under, undermined uh, discipline, and uh, their willingness to shoot at one another, hmm. both but, sides.
0: Before we get, uh, the, the Reserves were involved in a lot of major battles in the war, but before we get into those, I want to ask you about yourself a little bit. You are a retired military. Yes. What's your background?
1: Well, when I was a little kid, my uncle, who graduated from West Point, was an army officer. And I wanted to be like him. I always had great respect for him, and I still do. So he was my inspiration. Well, I uh, I went to West Point and failed. <laughs> I failed in German, which is okay. But... Uh, You know, strange things happen to me sometimes. And when I left the academy, I was given a letter of recommendation for Officer Candidate School. Well, I went to Susquehanna University for a year and a half, and I took this paper down to a recruiting office. I said, is this any good yet? They said yes. So I went to OCS. It was a six-month course in that day and uh, I graduated and was commissioned 15 15 months before my West Point classmates.
0: (laughs) You joined the Army in 1946? 45. Oh 45, but right at the end of the war, after the end of the war. Well,
1: it it was the the war for the purpose of the uh, victory medal. The war lasted until December 31st 1946 oh now I enlisted in what they called the Army Specialized Training Reserve Program now this was before West Point <clears throat> and uh, you could enlist in that at the age of 17 which I did and wh- wh- what would happen is once you became 18 they could call you an active duty so I went through that Again, before West Point,
0: <clears throat> so the army was still recruiting as far as, as late as late 1945
1: and 1946. 45, anyway. Mm-hmm. So that you know, because of that, technically, I'm a World War II veteran. I, I didn't believe it, <laughs> but they showed me. But At any rate. <clears throat> I was commissioned in in, uh, September of 1949. I went to the infantry officers basic course. I got married and I left for Japan. But uh, when I was when I was at the basic course back in those days they used to take the, the senior class and fly them to different Army posts, major posts. <clears throat> and they f- flew my class into Fort Benning where I was stationed. And they were located only a short distance. So this one day I went up there to where they were located and walked behind this one guy. I said, Suck up that ponderous gut, Mr. Eichhorn. He turned around and he said, You're the lead. <laughs> home week. I had a, you know, once a classmate, always a classmate. And I have kept my relationship with the class ever since. Of course, there are not too many of us left anymore. You were in Korea for a time. Yes. Uh... The Korean War started while I was in Japan. Coincidentally, my wife was supposed to come over to Japan at the time. Her, we had waited the six months, but she never got there. Yeah, I was in, in Korea, in the, in the infantry. And again, different things happened to me that didn't happen to other people. The tour of duty in Korea was a year, and I was I was sent home in ten and a half months. There wasn't there wasn't any question about leaving. You know, I I, I wanted to stay one night one more night with the outfit. A man that I knew did just that and was
0: killed Hmm. so how long did you stay in the army well
1: I left active duty in 1953 now I when I came back from Korea you could pick almost any place you wanted and I knew if if it was around here somewhere I'd have relatives on my doorstep or I'd be on theirs. So I picked Fort Jackson, South Carolina. (laughs) You see, my wife and I had had no chance to know one another. And I had two good years there. And they sent me to uh, Europe. And there I was assigned to the 28th Infantry Division. And uh, at the time, there were two 28th Divisions. There was one on active duty, and there was another one starting back here in Pennsylvania, and that was called 28th Infantry, Infantry, 28th Infantry Division, National Guard of the United States. So I resigned the Army in December of 53, and I joined the Pennsylvania National Guard, 28th Division, in March of 54, and I stayed with them until the end of November of 1980. Twenty-one of those years, I was full-time, it was like being on active duty but never being transferred. I was over here at the Harrisburg Military Post all that time. Now originally, the division commander, shortly after I, I joined up, he called me into his office. It was on the second floor of the armory. He said, come over here to the window, Lieutenant. So I went over, put his arms around me. I know, oh, I'm trouble now. He said, you see that company down there? I said, yes, sir. He said, how'd you like to command that company? I didn't answer him right away. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, if you take command of that company and do a good job at annual training, I'll promote you to captain. Well, we went that summer to summer camp in September. I was a captain. It was General Henry K. Fluke. He commanded the division for a long time. The other division commander that I knew very well, as a matter of fact, I ended up being his chief of staff, was Nicholas P. Calf Callis. I mean, he he was wonderful to work for, and he was a very smart man. We used to go uh, out to... uh, Fort Leavenworth each year for a a refresher course, and all of the National Guard Division, the Division Commanders, and selected members of the staff went there, too. And the, the Chiefs of Staff, well, the generals were, you know, talking to one another at a table, and the chiefs of staff were sitting around on the outside, like horse holders. <laughs> but at any rate, many times these guys would get themselves all wrapped up, and they couldn't, they couldn't find a solution to things. So they turned to General Kafkalis. His name was Nicholas. Nick, what do you think? Well, he'd take the cigar out of his mouth. and In just a couple of sentences, he would summarize the problem and then give the solution. It was there all the time, but not one of them had discovered it. Like I said, he, he was a very good general on, on many scales. He, he just recently died in his nineties,
0: and you were in the army until
1: 1980. Well, in, in the in the guard, mm-hmm. full time, yeah, till 1980. I had, like I said, I had my moment in the sun. They were mo- most all were good years. The bad years were well, the bad year was Korea. You know. <clears throat> I did not suffer from this post-whatever it is. But nobody goes into combat and comes out without being changed. And today, I'm sitting there buying my own business and something from Korea popped up in my mind. And that's the way it is. That's the way it's been. All those years, Mm. I you know I had a lot of men killed in my platoon. As a matter of fact, the first day of battle, I lost twelve out of thirty-six, and uh, that was about the twentieth of of uh, July. The fourth of August, the Marines came in, and they relieved us. And at that time, I was reduced to three four-man squads. So, hmm. but,
0: uh, Well, getting back, getting back to your book, yeah, I wanna, okay, yeah, before yeah, we yeah. run out of time, I want to talk about a little of that, because they were involved in a lot of major battles. But what was the first time they were involved in what's considered a big battle?
1: Well, the, the first battle for them as a division was at Mechanicsville. Now uh, two of the regiments were not there they only, they had e- eleven regiments there and uh, they did a real good job. They, they stuck it out that the Confederates tried and tried to turn the right flank and they tried also the left flank of the division and they made no headway at all. Now they they came pretty close on the right flank, but they they stuck it out, and then they stayed overnight and then they were ordered out the next day. Well, they were ordered out in daylight, and uh, that led to some casualties. But they had <clears throat> they had uh, Gaines mill. they were there. And and there, the uh, the regiments were pretty much used to push d- different places along the whole uh, army f- front. Put a regiment here, two regiments there, and so on. <clears throat> and then there was the the battle of of. Uh,
0: well, I want to ask you about one in particular, New Market Crossroads. That's one i to Oh, because that about. sounded like that went badly.
1: It did. They put the 3rd and 4th regiments out, uh, out here forward. The 12th was off on the, on the left, and they, there were two contingents of them, and they were getting themselves ready. For the uh, enemy, well, they, they didn't. They didn't get a chance to get ready. the uh, The Confederates came and, and chased them, chased them out, <clears throat> and along with them were the men from two artillery batteries, and they joined the withdrawal. and I think some people from the third that was out no little further and this whole mob of people ran, running to the rear <clears throat> they created the impression of the commander of the corps next to them that the whole reserve outfit just took off but they didn't now they had a terrible time they were shoved around but they were still there at the end of the day. <clears throat> as, as it got dark and so on, General McCall went to look for some of his men and he stumbled into the lines of the 17th Virginia and was captured.
0: <clears throat> was he a POW for the rest of the war?
1: No. See, back in those days, before Grant came along, Periodically they would exchange prisoners, particularly officers. So he was exchanged, but uh, he wasn't able to command the division. But uh, <clears throat> there was a, a general, a brigadier general named Truman Seymour. Well, Truman Seymour disappeared. And he showed up at night, you know, when when the battle was pretty much over with. He took command of the division. But he he did one thing that I thought was absolutely terrible. <clears throat> you see, you have your artillery battery, like, positioned in one place, and back... out of, uh, not out of range, but back to the rear in in a a defilated area where they won't be hit. They would have some other caissons and so on. There was artillery uh, ammunition. Well, he went by this one group and told them to move, so they did. Well, the battery ran out of ammunition and the uh, commanders sent people out looking. He never did find them. He never found them.
0: He told them to move and he didn't know where they went?
1: No. Well, the general knew that they were sent back someplace, but he didn't know where they were. And, of course, the battery commander didn't know either. Now, there he took the firepower of a whole battery of artillery and destroyed it. I I had no respect for him.
0: Where were the Pennsylvania Reserves when uh, the Battle of Gettysburg started to come together?
1: Well, after Fredericksburg the division was in pretty bad shape. Well, even before Fredericksburg It was only about 4,000 men.
0: Were they getting reinforcements or replacements along the way?
1: They would, The different regiments would send people back to try to recruit. But that, lots of times, was totally unsatisfactory.
0: Mm. So Fredericksburg, they had had a lot of losses?
1: They had a lot of losses. Not only that... To bring them up to uh, more strength, they attached two new regiments to them. Um, they, weren't, they weren't reserve regiments, they were just two regiments, and that increased their strength. Well, <clears throat> the, uh, on, the, on the way in their advance, The commander of the brigade that the sixth belonged to was shot in the left foot. uh, Another uh, brigade commander, his horse was killed and he was was pinned, his legs under him. Now, the third one was a a brigadier and he was leading his outfit. And he was killed. So in effect, the regiments of the division did pretty much what they wanted to do. The 6th the, the and some of the others, they, they went over this flank. Another bunch of them uh, cornered a, a large number of Confederates in a hollow and so on. Now. For a year, for about an hour or so, they had their own way, but then, oh, guess who it was jackson hmm. he He assembled his people and chased them off. This so one guy said that they left that hill faster than they did when they climbed up it.
0: Now you have a letter in here that uh if I can find it that's a request. Um, from the Pennsylvania Reserves to be allowed to go to Gettysburg?
1: Okay. After Fredericksburg, the Reserve Division was so low in strength, they were sent to become part of the force defending Washington, D.C., and that's where they were. And then when the word came to, to go up toward Gettysburg, Two of the brigades had no problem assembling. The, the other brigade, they wanted them, and the commander of the troops at Washington said, "No, you can't have them." <clears throat> the division commander was so outraged he wanted to court and a guy court-martial. Well, instead, he got a letter, not from this fellow, but higher up. The letter said, that those, in effect, that those regiments were no part of the Pennsylvania Reserve. Well, they were. It was the 3rd, 4th, uh, 7th, and 8th regiments. It was one of the brigades.
0: And they wanted to be on Pennsylvania soil?
1: Well, they, they wanted to join the, the division. Well, <clears throat> they got there uh, late in the afternoon on the second day. And they were sent to the, the, the flank of Little Round Top, the right flank, and they formed there. <clears throat> now, the, uh, what, they, what the commander did, he took a regiment from one brigade, and that brigade he sent on to Little Round Top. The others, he formed them up in in two ranks, more or less, facing down down slope. And uh,
0: was strong Vincent with them then? He he's a Pennsylvanian.
1: You no, know, he well, he he wasn't part of the reserve. Weed hmm. and uh, uh, Vincent were both brigade commanders. But both were killed there. <clears throat> well, at any rate, the Confederates had been fighting and winning pretty much all afternoon. They had uh, they had defeated uh, some uh, regulars, that sort of thing. But they were all jumbled together, you know. Regimental cohesion was totally lost because they'd been maneuvering and, and so on all day long. And uh, they started up the hill where the reserves were located. Well, they fired some volleys at them and the, the Confederates did, but then they, they started to withdraw and that's when the reserve charged down over the hill and uh, across the valley of death to the edge of the wheat field and that's where they stopped the 6th regiment it was a, a road that went down this way the 6th regiment was on that on that that side of the of the road and the rest of them were over here Now, the uh, commander of the Bucktails was with some of his men, and they were confronting some Confederates, and uh, they called for the Confederates to lay down their arms, and they started to, and then one of them realized that there was only a a few people there, and they said, I'm not going to surrender to a a corporal's guard, so they grabbed their weapons and started shooting. Well as soon as, as, soon as the, one of the sergeants of the bucktails realized what was happening, he said he just yelled out, tree everyone, that means you jump behind a tree. The regimental commander was too slow and was killed.
0: Why is it that, that when you hear about Little Round Top, everybody talks about the 20th Maine and they never talk oh, about the Pennsylvania
1: Reserve? Well, the 20th Maine did, it's outstanding. They, they really held their own. And uh, they proved their mettle, I'll tell you. They really did. They deserve everything that they got.
0: Well, 're we're just we 're just about out of time, but I want to ask you you, you say in the book that the um, the Pennsylvania reserves were mustered out in June of eighteen sixty four mm-hmm. but the war was still going on. yeah, why'd they do that?
1: because they had signed up for three years, and uh, that that mustering out date was a very sacred date to the, to a man who had served three years. He wanted it out when he wanted it out. No, oh,
0: the army couldn't just say, "Oh, we're extending you to the no, duration." No.
1: no. Now the uh, <clears throat> I talked about the third and fourth; they were sent out to to General Crook. Now, see, cipher doesn't doesn't pursue that at all. I have a whole chapter on on that expedition. So I tried to fill in some of the gaps. There were two batteries, artillery batteries, that had originally been part of of the reserves. They were at Gettysburg. It was Ricketts' battery and I think Cooper's, and uh, so I deviate from my uh, normal format and wrote about them, too, because they had been reserve
0: batteries. I'm going to have to stop you there because we are out of time. We've been talking to Uzal Ent. He's the author of this book, The Pennsylvania Reserves in the Civil War, A Comprehensive History, and it is comprehensive. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast of PA Books, a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. We'd like to hear from you. Our email address is pabooks at pcntv.com. Like us on Facebook to learn more about P.A. Books.